from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture lesson is a psalm of praise and prayer. Hear together God's word for you and for me from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there the thrones for judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Amen. And from the New Testament in the Acts of the Apostles, read on page 129. Hear now the word of God for you who are the people of God. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Aparagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. So we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far 
from each one of us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, on this centennial celebration, on this 100th anniversary of this sacred space, we pray the same prayer that has been prayed from this pulpit throughout that time, that you would break open your word afresh to us so that we would hear a word from you and so that we would be changed even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's almost five years to the day that I first stepped foot into this sanctuary. The pastor nominating committee had flown Katie and me down for a couple days of interviews, for fellowship, for discernment and prayer. Atlanta was in full bloom. Midtown was electric as the Dogwood Festival was taking place. Just east in Augusta, the Masters was happening and people in town were out and about enjoying the 72 degree weather and the bright sunshine. We walked into the sanctuary coming in from that bright sunshine, and it took our eyes a few seconds to adjust. All of a sudden, someone turned on the lights, and before our eyes was the magnificent beauty and majesty of this sanctuary, and it absolutely overwhelmed us. We were standing on sacred ground, and we knew it. In some mysterious way, we, we felt the almost a hundred years of worship a century of worship, a century of singing and praying, a century of, of preaching, a century of weddings and funerals, a century of special services, a century of thousands upon thousands of people, sinners and saints alike, who have called this place their home. In the book of Acts, Paul reminds us that God does not live in shrines made by human hands, and we certainly profess this truth. We acknowledge that even in a beautiful cathedral like this one, that a space even like this cannot contain the fullness of God. Not even creation can do that. And yet at the same time, we acknowledge that this sanctuary has been a place, to borrow another line from Paul, a place where the faithful search for God, perhaps even grope for God, a place where people have found God, discovering that God is not far from each one of us. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. On this 100th anniversary of our sanctuary, I want to offer three invitations. They're invitations that are born from our history, uh, the history of this sanctuary, the history of this congregation. Three invitations that I believe are important to receive as we mark this particular time, but also as we press on in our second century of ministry from the corner of 16th and Peachtree. The first invitation is this to continue to embrace and promote the diversity and the plurality of Christian 
witness, and experience. Quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus once said that my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And while we haven't modeled this command with perfection in our past and certainly not in our, pre in our present, we nonetheless strive for this ideal. We strive for the value of radical hospitality so any person can belong here for a lifetime of faith. We strive for the value of authentic diversity, building relationships that honor one another as children of God. This sanctuary and all who occupy its space must support these values. This sanctuary should be a house of prayer for all nations, for all people, a model of radical hospitality and a purveyor of authentic diversity. It should be a place where people may belong for a lifetime of faith and to claim their identity as the beloved of God. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And this sanctuary, think with me for just a moment, this sanctuary with its very design and its construction actually witnesses to the diversity and the plurality the gospel of Jesus Christ both promotes and expects. Think of this, the original architect, William T. Downing, hailed from Georgia. And those who financially contributed to the construction costs, those members obviously were citizens of this great city. But we think the sandstone that frames our late Gothic revival sanctuary came from North Carolina. The Carillon bells were fashioned by the Petite Fiskin Bell Company of the Netherlands. They were installed by the Verdan Company of Cincinnati, Ohio. The Moravian Tile Company in Bucks County, Pennsylvania put the floor in, made the tiles. The original organ came from the Pilcher Company of Kent, England. The original lectern Bible came from Oxford. And as we heard Bill describe earlier, our baptismal stone came from Ephesus. The Tiffany Company and, and the D'Ascenzo and Willette Studios, Tiffany of New York, these other two studios from Philadelphia put and made these stained glass windows. You see, this sacred space came to be through a local, national, and international effort. And so like the physical church building, our congregation's spiritual life, I think, must be sketched by a diverse set of theological architects who embrace the ways the gospel calls all people to be family across gender and racial and national, chronological, political, and socioeconomic lines. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Not only are we invited to embrace and promote the diversity and plurality of Christian witness, but I also think we're invited to pursue a deep, deep unity that serves to validate our ministry of reconciliation. A congregation that is divided, a congregation that draws lines in the sand, a congregation that creates an us versus them mentality, a congregation that employs zero-sum game tactics, winner-take-all, destroy the enemy at all costs, those practices and, and habits we see employed so often in our political and social and, and economic spheres of life. A congregation that does that is a congregation that has lost its credibility. It's lost its relevance within its context. 
to be ambassadors and witnesses of the gospel. One of the most striking, one of the most striking and almost improbable, and, and I sometimes have a hard time believing this history, but we've written it down. The history of our move from Marietta Street to our current location in 1915 and ultimately making a home here in this sanctuary in 1919. There is a testimony from the church that not a single member was lost in the move. I don't mean they got lost on Peachtree. I mean that they gave up their membership. I mean, think about that for a second. Today, people change churches quite often, and for good reasons. There are some bad reasons that people change churches. I think that this would be a good one. Some would say that, that no, we should stay at Marietta Street. This is where we've always been. This is how we've always done it. This is the place where God lives, not out in that rural area at 16th and Peachtree Street. The fact that not a single member left when it was decided to sell the sanctuary, to sell the church property, to move north, virtually leaving the city as they knew it behind, to build a new sanctuary and a new congregation is basically a miracle. To be that single-minded in their discernment is a gift of grace. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And truth be told, I covet this kind of unity still for us. I covet this for us. I covet that kind of single-minded focus our foremothers and forefathers possess when they moved north on Peachtree. And let me be clear, I'm not, I'm not talking about looking the same or sounding the same or all believing exactly the same way about everything. A moment ago, I just made the case for plurality. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm saying is that we should be, as a congregation, absolutely single-minded and unified in our purpose to humbly follow Jesus Christ. We should be single-minded about that. We should be absolutely unified in our call to be a community of conviction and compassion. We should be single-minded and unified in our call, as the Confession of 1967 states, in our call to be reconciled to God and to be sent into the world as God's reconciling community. It goes on to say that this community, the church, is entrusted with God's message of reconciliation and shares God's labor of healing the enmities which separate people from God and from each other. Christ has called the church to this mission and given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is my earnest and my daily prayer that in the midst of our plurality that we would be unified as a congregation, that we would be unified as a community of faith in this common mission to humbly follow Jesus Christ wherever he may lead us. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's a house of diversity, it's a house of unity, and the final invitation is to also make it a house of vision. A house of vision. If you've seen pictures of what this plot of land looked like as parcels in Ansley Park were just starting to be sold off, you might think that you're looking at a picture somewhere, anywhere, of rural America. It's hard to imagine what this section of the city used to look like. Dr. Lyons, the pastor who, who led the move to our new location, described it best when he said this. 
He said the removal of the first church to 16th and Peachtree Street means going into the largest unoccupied territory in the city of Atlanta. And it was. It absolutely was. But Dr. Lyons and the congregation, they had a vision. They had a vision. And they sensed that the city would start to move north, which it obviously did. And that First Presbyterian Church was being called by God to have a vision to be church in a particular community that hadn't happened yet. A vision for what God was going to do in this place. When people ask me to describe First Presbyterian Church, one of the attributes I often name is that of visionary. A visionary congregation. We've historically been a vision-centered congregation. And again, make no mistake, we haven't always been visionaries. To be sure, we have from time to time settled for the status quo. We have done that. We continue to do that, unfortunately. But we strive to live into the vision that God is putting before us, that God is doing a new thing. And, And that is in the DNA of this church. I can't overstate that. This vision-oriented life together is in the DNA of this congregation. We saw it demonstrated when we moved a hundred and so years ago to the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street. We see it in launching the first preschool in the state of Georgia. We see it when, we, when we've tried to be on the right side of history when it comes to civil rights and racial equality and inclusion We've seen it on trying to be on the right side of God when we've been on the side of the poor and the vulnerable. I'm so delighted that Alex Williams is here today, sitting in the pews, an associate pastor who had a vision called Aurora when the hippie movement was hitting town. And some of the church members were saying, what are we going to do about all these hippies? Alex Williams had a vision to create ministry with other churches out of this place so that they would know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Dr. Harry Fifield said to Alex Williams, and this is from Fifield's own pen, he said, Alex, you were on trial during that time. Your pastor was on trial, and he said, with all due respect, Dr. Fifield, the church was on trial during that time. He had a vision, and the church had a vision for what could be. It's a vision like that. We see today embracing forms of global partnerships that promote human dignity and and mutual learning, like launching the Samaritan Counseling Center of Atlanta so anyone, regardless of their income, can receive high-quality, spiritually integrated mental health care. It's like launching uh, Child Spring International and Midtown Assistance Center. It's like making worship and, and spiritual growth and theological thinking an absolute priority in our lives against the backdrop of a secular world. It's like most recently our epiphany project, a vision of seeing God's mission in a new way. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, family of faith, we must be willing to continue to have a vision for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be challenges ahead. There will be opportunities. There will be difficult decisions, I promise you. There will be seasons of discernment. There will be seasons of prayer. There will be seasons of uncertainty. But let us continue to choose God's future and have a vision for it so we may receive it. Those who have come before us, while not perfect, have shown us the way. 
They have shown us the way. And so on this day, we mark the 100th anniversary of this sanctuary where the faithful have longed for God, where the faithful have found God, where this house is and will be a house of prayer for all nations and unified in its mission to humbly follow Jesus Christ and where visionaries for the kingdom of God have gathered for a century. May we give thanks to God and rededicate this space so it may be for future generations what it has been for us. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, I'd invite you, if you're able, to stand. And of all the songs we've sung and the prayers that we have prayed and will continue to pray, this particular component of the liturgy was the one that got me the most excited because this is the very liturgy that was used 100 years ago to get to dedicate this space. And we knew, use it now to rededicate to God this sanctuary. Would you join me responsively? Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons and one God, to thee we dedicate this house. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father which art in heaven, to thee we dedicate this house. Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, head of the body which is the church, head over all things to the church, prophet, priest, and king to thy people. To thee we dedicate this house. God, the Holy Ghost, proceeding from the Father and the Son, given to be our abiding teacher, sanctifier, and comforter, Lord and giver of life. To thee we dedicate this house. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to join me now in a word of prayer. Let us pray together. O oh, gracious and all-knowing, all-seeing, heavenly God, we come before you this morning to offer thanks to you for the wonderful visionaries who could see what only you could see and who by faith moved to this particular location at the corner of 16th and Peachtree and declared that this would indeed be the house of the Lord. So today, O oh Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the great cloud of witnesses whom have gone before us and who continue to urge us onward. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the wonderful ways that you continue to empower your people, the wonderful ways that you continue to call us to new places, call us to new things, to call us to be new creations in you. Oh God, we lift up those who are sick among us and we pray that you would provide each person with the healing that is needed in their lives. We realize, oh Lord, that many families are represented here this morning 
And we ask, O oh loving God, that you would continue to work with each and every family, the biological families, as well as our church family, so that each and every heart will be filled with that love which binds us all together. We pray for those whose hearts are heavy due to the death of a loved one. We ask you to provide comfort, provide what is needed during this time of bereavement. Holy God, we pray for every leader of every nation, and we ask that you would provide each, each leader with the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that they need in order to promote peace on earth and goodwill toward all human beings. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for stopping here today with us, allowing us this opportunity to call upon your holy name once again, to praise you, to love you, to honor you, and to lift you up. We pray that you would hear each and every prayer. We ask you to hear each and every cry. We ask these blessings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who taught us when we gather as a family to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, let us continue worshiping God as we provide the Lord with our tithes and offerings. Kingdom of God. 